Hello, and welcome back to Making Sense of Money, a podcast centered around helping make financial topics easier to understand. I'm Jake Hamilton. And I'm Nikki Jankula Shake, another of your co hosts. I'm the last of your co hosts, Andrew Pellegrini. Today, we're going to be talking about something very timely creating a vision for your life with one of my colleagues from University of Illinois Urbana Champaign, Donovan Sanchez who is a financial planning instructor in the College of Agricultural and Consumer Economics. For anyone who is an alumni, you may know that is the College of ACES. So Donovan, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners and maybe why you're passionate about creating a vision for your life as part of financial planning? Yes, I would, Andrew. And thank you so much, Andrew, Nikki, and Jake, for the opportunity to have this conversation with you. It's really a pleasure and an honor. I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk about some relevant uh, financial planning items, as well as, I believe, a few things that are, are worth exploring from a vision and value standpoint. I'll give you a little bit of personal background on myself. I grew up in the Bay Area, California. From there, I attended Brigham Young University, and I actually graduated with a degree in English teaching joined Teach for America and went down to Dallas, Texas and taught two years of English there at a local high school in the Dallas suburbs. Um, And then following that, made a bit of a family decision. Uh, My wife and I were there and at the time we had three kids and we really wanted to get closer to some grandparents. We didn't have any family in Texas. And so we decided to make the move to central Illinois where we now reside and have since added another family member to the bunch. So we've got four kids now and we're enjoying life in central Illinois. For those of you who heard me say that I started out as an English teacher, you might be a little bit surprised that I'm a financial planner now, but yes, I am. Uh, I transitioned after teaching English to financial services and uh, joined a financial planning firm and transitioned from, from one to the next Uh, prior to starting my own financial planning practice about three years ago. Um, And since that time, I have also completed a master's degree in advanced financial planning. I felt it was important to actually have a degree in what I was doing. So made that transition. So that's a little bit of information about myself. Now we'll get into why creating a vision for your life is important uh, as it relates to financial planning. I do feel that it's important. And I, I care about this topic as a financial planning instructor, a practicing financial planner, and really just as a a human being, if I'm being honest. Uh, And one of the reasons why I care about it is because I don't think that I'm always particularly good about living life in the way that I actually want to or the way that I intend to. And so I'm not presenting myself here today as a consultant on how to live your life richly or an expert by any means, but simply as another person that's really trying to figure it out. And I've, I've done a few things that I feel like have been helpful and I'm eager to share, share some of those. But you know, I, I think that most of us would probably agree that at the end of life, you know, those who are able to look back on their, on their life as a whole and identify experiences and rich relationships and that they spent time with loved ones and they had meaningful experiences, they're likely going to have a greater sense of satisfaction than the person that dies with a whole bunch of money in the bank account, but perhaps hasn't spent as much time making those human connections and having those deep, meaningful human experiences. Um, But, you know, actions speak louder than words. And far too often, and I'm speaking for myself personally here, um, 
I think that we sometimes make choices that reduce the opportunity to engage in those things that we really do value, such as spending time with, with loved ones and friends. And sometimes we instead choose those things that actually lead to uh, more money in the bank account, but maybe less time, less time with our, our family loved ones or, or living out our values and vision. So from the outset, we should mention that, you know, this isn't to say that being financial, financially prepared should take a back seat or that it's not important to build wealth over time. It absolutely is. Financial preparedness is vital. What it really is, though, is an acknowledgement that we should be mindful of how and why we make decisions. And so I believe having a vision statement, which will be a lot of what we'll talk about today, or some other documents that we can refer to often can really help us remain committed to our values and our life vision. Thank you so much, Donovan. I, I agree that sometimes there's this misalignment between our behaviors and what we value, be that consumer behaviors or non-consumer behaviors, and that can stress us out. It can, which we talked about stress in a previous podcast. So um, it's important to kind of acknowledge like where our values are and how we can best balance our need to support future self while also engaging in the experiences that bring us fulfillment. So I think that's really important to acknowledge and I'm very appreciative of your perspective today. Um, so for the listeners, I know that the topic that we're covering today might seem a little bit outside of the financial education podcast's wheelhouse, but so much of what we want and how we navigate our lives relies on finances, which we have a financial planning planner here talking about kind of life fulfillment, and I think that's important. So I do think it's important to acknowledge that our access to choices for life fulfillment rely heavily on our financial situations. And I've, I've probably said that before on the podcast, but even when you think about overall well-being, um, just every choice about wellness that you can make is influenced by money in some way. And it's important to acknowledge that. And since we're, we're talking about goals and New Year's resolutions now, because we're still in January, it's no better time than now to talk about how to create that vision for your life. Yes, those are very good points, Andrea. Um, I think that this is a perfectly timed podcast. Um, so we've talked about goal setting before on this podcast in many different forms, um, but it's always great to get multiple perspectives when thinking about different approaches to setting goals or creating a vision, however you want to refer to it as. So um, Donovan, as a financial planner, how do you approach this concept of creating a vision for your life? It's, it's a great question, Nikki. And I think that the way that I would address it is uh, first kind of reviewing what we're hopefully trying to avoid uh, and then also what we are trying to advance, what we are, are trying to do. And then I'll talk a little bit about the, the nuts and bolts of uh, approaching actually crafting a, a vision document. So what do we want to avoid? I, I think that there's an, a very interesting topic that is addressed in Jonathan Clement's book, How to Think About Money. Fantastic book if, if anyone's interested in exploring a, a, a book that deals with this important topic of money. But one of those items that he addresses is something called the hedonic treadmill. 
Now, this is a principle whereby one sets their sights on something. Maybe it's a material possession or some other objective, you know, insert new phone, insert new house, insert new car or, or whatever it might be. We set our sights on it. We strive for it. We achieve it. And you know what? We experience this momentary thrill. There's this excitement of the new purchase, but very quickly, in fact, surprisingly quickly, more quickly, quickly than we would expect, that feeling kind of goes away and this new object or new thing gets incorporated into our lives and then we move on to the next. Now, I also want to say I'm in favor of goals, love goals. We should strive for them. Um, but if we're living our lives in a way where all we're doing is putting our sights on the next thing, we achieve it, don't really experience a whole lot of fulfillment from it and then just move on to the next thing, I think we should take a step back and say, okay, what are we what are we really trying to do here? And I think an example from my own life of uh, experience this hedonic treadmill principle, if you will, was when I was studying for my master's degree in advanced financial planning. And I, I got to tell you guys, I was so eager for that graduation day and I was looking forward to it. And I was like, you know what, once this degree is done, my life is going to be so much different. I have so much more free time. I'm just going to be a happier person, not as stressed. And you know what, complete the degree. And it was great. Celebrated but not really very much changed in terms of my actual day-to-day -day life experience. There was something new that came right in and filled up that space that the master's degree was taking, uh, that was really filling at that time. So I think we need to be careful about always pushing towards that sometime in the future idea when we're gonna be happier or have things better figured out. So what we're trying, what we are trying to do with creating a vision document is do a better job of not getting caught up in that hedonic treadmill. And so we wanna create something that helps us get the most out of our experiences now. So living life richly now, as well as pointing us in the direction that we wanna go. It is important, we need to have those goals, we need to be striving for things, but we should also be uh, focusing on experiencing life in a rich way now. So the truth of the matter is, is uh, there is no one size approach for what everyone, what every single person's vision should be. That's gonna be different from one individual to the next because we have different values and things that, different things that we care about and that's really fine. So for example, for myself, I really cherish time and flexibility and I wanna spend a lot of that time with my family. And so for me, striving to achieve a work-life balance that allows me to start and end work at a reasonable time most days, I mean, no one can say all days, but let's just say most days, um, is really what I'm working for. And I'm okay with the fact that this could mean that perhaps I don't advance my financial planning practice uh, or my career in general as far as others might. Alternatively, there may be people out there who have a great interest in, let's say, building a large business or having an extremely involved career. And so for them, their life vision is likely going to be much different than mine is, which is totally fine. So we're not in any way trying to dictate what the values should be. What we are trying to do is identify that vision beforehand and try to start working towards it. Is it okay for our vision to change over time? Absolutely. This, is a, this will be a living document that, that you can update and change as we go on. So I've referred a few times to, hey, this, there's this document that you should create. So let's talk about that a little bit. So how do you actually approach creating something like a vision and values document or a vision and values statement? About three years ago, I was working for a financial planning firm and it was a fantastic company. 
there were a few things that I wanted to do differently. So we gave it some deep thought, some prayer, and my wife and I had a lot of conversations. We decided to take a bit of a leap of faith and I started my own financial planning practice. Now, this was a turning point in my life. It was a, a big change. And so it gave me an opportunity to think really deeply about how I wanted to live. And so I did something really simple. I just opened up a Google Doc uh, and I titled it Vision Document. And I started adding ideas to it that I felt would help me live life richly. And to be honest with you, I didn't have it all figured out and I still don't have it all figured out. I, I'm, I haven't solved all of the puzzles, but as ideas would come to mind, I would go back to this document and I would add things to it. Some examples, wait at the bus stop every day with your children. You already have everything that you need. Make mindfulness meditation a part of your life. Strive to go to sleep at nine most nights and get up at five most mornings. Take your wife on a date every week. Now I include professional goals and other personal goals uh, that come to mind. I include them in this vision document. And this is helpful for keeping me on track. Now, many of the listeners hearing these things might say, well, yeah, none of that really seems that, uh, that life-changing. These are nice goals. These are nice things to do, but uh, you know, is that going to have a big impact? And can't you just say, hey, that's what you're going to do and go out and do it? And I would submit that life often is pretty messy and it's hard to keep track of things. So there, there's a lot that can distract us. Work can get really busy. Maybe you have an argument with your spouse. Maybe your kids have some behavioral challenges that are difficult to navigate. Um, or maybe you experience a personal tragedy. You have disappointment at work or otherwise lose sight of your vision. So while oftentimes the things that we will put in our vision document may appear simple or maybe on occasion they even seem a little bit cliche, the important thing is if we really wanna strive for those things, Having them written in the document gives us an opportunity to refer back to this. This is why it's so important to write it down. So what I've tried to do as a way of reminding myself about what I want, or at least to think about what I want, is to leave myself a calendar reminder. It, re it recurs every single Friday, so it's automatically set up. It's on my, my Google Calendar. And every Friday, I have a little reminder that tells me, hey, Donovan, go back and look at that vision document. And so I do. Every Friday, I look at it. Uh, I, I can't confess that I always read it word for word. Sometimes it's more of a skimming, but it's giving me time to actually get in there and make, make certain that I continue to strive towards that life vision. And I'm sure we're going to get into this a little bit more, but if you have that vision document and what you want, then that is definitely going to tie into your finances because you need to have the finances to support what's in your vision document. But also it's like you know, if one of your visions is I want to make sure I'm playing with my kids every night before they go to bed, that's going to affect maybe what type of job you take or, or the hours you work. So I think that's a very interesting way to approach it. Well, Nikki, you bring up an incredibly important point. And I've definitely been leaning in this conversation towards those personal goals. And one of the reasons why I'm doing that is because uh, personally, as a financial planning instructor and, and practicing financial advisor, so much of my time is spent in the realm of finances and financial preparedness and have sometimes felt that we're neglecting kind of those personal things. And so I'm very passionate about 
the areas of the vision document that would focus on those personal fulfillment goals, such as, as you mentioned, playing with the kids before they go to bed every night or things like that. But absolutely, there's, there's no reason why your vision document shouldn't also include those financial goals, including how you're going to go about achieving them. So I think that's a great point that you bring up as well. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, Nikki, that's a great point to bring up. Uh, um, so let's talk a little bit about how, you know, people can incorporate, you know, that financial aspect into their vision documents. Um, as we kind of already established, money obviously has a lot to do with whether or not somebody has access to the choices that enable you to accomplish your vision um, or your goals. Um, so how might someone go about incorporating a spinning plan into their overall vision um, from your perspective, Donovan? Yeah, Jake, this is super important because there are very real benefits to having your financial house in order. That can't be emphasized enough. And, and you guys are doing a great job of, of doing that on this podcast. So what is a spending plan? What's a cash flow plan? You know, generally, I don't think people like the word budget, but at the end of the day, what we're really talking about are budgets. And I can admit, as a financial advisor, you know, I'll be the first to tell you that budgets often aren't very fun at least initially. Now, I do think that once a budget gets established, they can be a real joy. And the reason why I think they can, can be a joy is because they're directing your income and resources in the way that you want. Uh, Dave Ramsey often quotes John Maxwell saying that budgets are telling your money where to go instead of wondering where, they, where it went. I think that's powerful because for those of us, and I've experienced this in my life, uh, certainly, those of us who have not had budgets will often wonder at the end of the month, wow, there was, there was a certain amount of money that came in, and now it's gone. What happened? And so a budget is really going to be that steering wheel, if you will, that is going to direct those resources where you want them to go. And that's why I feel like they can be a joy. But getting it started is really, really tough. But I do think that that's the most important thing to do because once you have a regular system of budgeting and you're, you're, you're doing it on a regular basis, let's say every month, you're going to figure out how to make the budget more efficient, how to simplify it, or maybe how to make it more sophisticated if you're inclined in that way. And so you will figure out the nuances of budgeting as you go. The most important thing, in my opinion, is to get in that habit of actually using one. So let me, let me share an, a personal example from my life for how my wife and I were able to do that. Because as I mentioned, even though I'm a financial advisor, I acknowledge budgeting often isn't fun, especially early on. Um, and early in, in my marriage, my wife and I were not budgeting. And so, you know, when my wife and I first got married, we did sit down and review our finances. It was not something we did on a regular basis. But as we were reviewing our spending, my wife kindly pointed out there was a lot of money being directed to a delightful fast food restaurant that is known for its tacos and burritos that I like to frequent. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised by how much of our money was going to that line item. So it became very clear that we needed to incorporate a budget in our plan. And so we decided, hey, we need to buckle down, we need to start budgeting. And we would do things like, say on Sunday evenings, we're going to do our budgeting. That's when we're gonna do it. But you know what would happen? We'd set the time and then we'd often miss it because we were either too tired or maybe there were more interesting things going on. Maybe we got invited to uh, have dinner with our friends at their house or something along those lines. 
So we were very, very inconsistent. Then one day it occurred to me, well, what if we tried to budget while we did something that we both really enjoy? And so my wife and I decided, you know, we both like to eat out. So why don't we set a monthly date night? We're going to go out to eat and we're going to review the last month's budget and we're going to prepare the next one. You know, when we decided to do that, we were much more consistent with our budgeting and looking at where the money was going and trying to determine, uh, you know, where it went and determine where it was going to go in the next month. And by incorporating a little bit of fun into that budgeting process, for us, it was a budgeting date night. For someone else, it might be watching a show while they budget. We also were able to become regular budgeters. And we started out very simple. As I mentioned, I, I, I truly believe if you start the process of budgeting, you're going to figure out what works for you over time. We started out very simple. We had a piece of paper. We taped it on the inside of one of our cabinets. And every time we spent money, we would go in, into that cabinet, open it up and write down what we spent and how much it costs. We started with that. From there, we started categorizing things. That led to us utilizing apps. We currently use an app called Good Budget, which I've found to be very helpful. I've heard of other budget apps like You Need a Budget to also be helpful. And there's plenty of other ones out there. Um, so we've incorporated now in our current budget, we use the Good Budget app and we also use spreadsheets to help us better keep track of our spending. That is what's working for us. I'm of the opinion, again, get started, do it on a regular basis, do something fun to help, you mo help motivate you while you budget. And over time, you're going to figure out what works best for you. We've actually spent a lot of time talking about spending plans or budgets in previous episodes of the podcast. Um, one of our most popular episodes, episode 20, talked about several different approaches to budgeting. So in case anyone is interested in going deeper on the more technical aspects of building a budget and spending plans, please check that out. I will also say that you know, we've, we mentioned that we have some webinars, the Get Savvy webinar series as well. And we have had a few webinars on budgeting. So we will make sure all of those links are in the show notes. So Donovan, what are some of the important elements to include in a spending plan that can help accommodate a person's vision for their life? Yeah, Nikki, that's a great question. And so, Obviously, most of us, when we think about budgets, we're thinking about line items and what expenses are, you know, what are the expenses that we have, like gas or groceries or miscellaneous expenses, whatnot. There are some other budget items I think we could add that could help us as we're working towards our life vision. So one of those ideas would be to give yourself an allowance. And this idea occurred to me as I was attending a church activity and I overheard some friends talking about the monthly allowance that they had. Now, these were not kids. These were grown adults in their early 30s talking about the allowance that they had and how nice it was that they could go out and spend a little bit of money on things that uh, brought them fulfillment and enjoyment and be able to do it in a guilt-free way. And so since then, I've incorporated this monthly allowance into our budget. So my wife and I both have a monthly allowance. And uh, I think that it's a great idea for a few reasons. One is because people often associate budget, budgets with having to cut back. It's viewed as being restrictive. So having an allowance line item 
gives you a little bit of guilt-free spending that you can choose to use however you want. So it provides a little bit of relief in that way. And, and the truth of the matter is, uh, for example, for, for my initial allowance, it may start out quite small, uh, but since a budget is essentially the steering wheel for how to power your financial engine over time, it's likely that your allowance may grow. And so even if it means starting out small, having some amount of money that you and your spouse or partner can have can help that budget feel a little bit less restricted. I think it's a good idea. Another idea that I would submit is worth including in a, in a budget is to incorporate some sort of giving aspect. So a lot of us are fortunate enough to where we have enough food, we have a place to live, we even maybe have enough that we have a little bit of money to save. And even after all that, perhaps we have a little bit left over. And so I think that there is this innate desire within all of us to be able to reach out beyond ourselves and help others in a meaningful way. So incorporating some sort of charitable giving line item where every single month you have a certain amount of money that is designated to give in some way. Maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a cause that you care about or a charity or to your church or other organization, something that will allow you to bless the lives of, your, of, of those around you. I think is also a, an idea worth considering to incorporate that could help you fulfill that life vision. Now, getting a little bit more into the financial aspect of fulfilling our vision as well is the idea to create an additional savings policy. This is a really neat idea, and it's, it's been addressed in a number of different forums, but I came across it when I was learning in my master's degree. So I have a master's degree in advanced financial planning. My concentration is in tax. I spent a lot of time in the tax code. I've learned a lot about student loan planning. And I've really tried in the master's degree and elsewhere to better understand retirement investment strategies. But one of the coolest things that I learned in my master's program was this idea of incorporating an additional savings policy. So what is an additional savings policy? Well, it's the principle whereby you set a certain rule such that any raises, bonuses, or even unexpected money has a certain percentage that automatically goes towards a financial goal. So examples of financial goals might include increasing your savings rate, paying down debt, or maybe something else. So here's an example to hopefully illustrate this a little bit. So let's say that your additional savings policy is 50% and you get a raise and your income increases by $10,000. Instead of allowing your lifestyle to increase to take up that additional $10,000 that you're now making, which if we don't have a savings policy, this is often what happens. We get a raise and then our lifestyle just increases that raise. Instead of doing that, if you have a 50% additional savings policy, you would take $5,000 of that income increase and it would automatically go towards your financial goal, such as increasing savings for retirement. And then the remaining 5,000 is left over for you to spend and enjoy as you choose. So this is a really neat strategy. And it's, it's neat because it allows you to naturally and easily increase your financial goals or savings towards those goals while still enjoying some extra increase in lifestyle spending. So you have this, this neat benefit of still enjoying the increase, but also directing a certain percentage of that increased income towards your other financial goals that are, that are also important. It sounds like 
things like giving yourself an allowance, incorporating charitable giving, and also creating an additional savings policy sounds like some really important elements to include in a spending plan that can help someone balance wealth building, which is important, we all kind of acknowledge that, with their vision, at least kind of generally. So um, since we, you just recently talked about the additional savings policy, um, for some of our lower income listeners maybe, or people that maybe have uh, more variance in their income, you might use something like Roundup savings as your additional savings policy. And we've talked about that in the past as well. It's something I'm a big fan of. Any way to diversify our savings behavior that doesn't feel like a, a conscious effort can be really helpful. So I think that's another way to think about additional savings. Um, and in addition to that, let's kind of talk about the charitable giving piece as well. So I was able to find a study from 2016 that used the consumer expenditure survey data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And that's something that we use pretty frequently when we talk about statistics in the podcast. Um, but it stated that contributions to charities and other organizations ranged on average between $64 and a little over $1,500 annually depending on the annual income of, of the families that participated in the survey. What I thought was really interesting from that study is, was that there was any amount of charitable contributions for all income groups surveyed, including the most low income groups. So that just shows me that uh, it is something that we care about generally as consumers, which kind of makes sense to include in your spending plan when you're thinking about what are the key cornerstones that you want to make sure to allow for? Um, so Donovan, what are some of the benefits of creating kind of this systemized approach to charitable giving specifically? Yeah, no, I, I think the study is really interesting. And one of the things that it's highlighting for me is how universal the idea of trying to help others is. We, we want to, like that's a, that's a human characteristic that we can really celebrate uh, we, we want to give back. We, we want to help people. And that doesn't, that doesn't change depending on uh, as, as at least specifically where this study is looking at based on income levels and things like that. People are giving at all levels, which is really neat. From an academic perspective, I don't think I can really speak to, um, you know, what the, the benefits are. But I can say from a personal perspective, that giving, and it could be money, it could be time, it could be talent, it helps fulfill that desire that we were talking about where we have, we have this desire to, to serve and improve the lives of others. And of course, joy is received on both ends by the receiver as well as the giver, which is, which is really neat and really fantastic. So incorporating that into your spending plan, your cash flow plan, or your budget, and also into your, into your vision document, can help fulfill one of this one of these deepest human desires that we have. Um, so when you're talking about giving yourself an allowance, uh, that's not the same as like we've mentioned this before on the podcast. Pay yourself first. Um, you know, uh, since pay yourself first is about automating your savings and 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 giving your allowance, it sounds like it's more about giving yourself permission to have fun with your money 
or to be able to do things that you want to with your money. Uh, I can see where someone might easily give themselves some wiggle room on that allowance money, especially if they fall in the category of people that have high income volatility, like Andrea was talking about. Uh, and they set their allowance as a percentage of their income. So Donovan, what are some ways to avoid uh, potential pitfalls with an allowance in different financial situations? Well, I think Jake, to start first noting that you are correct and allowance definitely isn't the same as pay yourself first. So I view pay yourself first more as a form of budgeting. I've heard people refer to it as backwards budgeting. You've probably addressed that in other podcasts, but I think that an allowance is more of a budget line item as opposed to a, an actual style of budgeting. The, the goal and objective with the allowance would be to give you some sort of guilt-free spending, some sort of release from the what might, what might more normally be a rigid budget structure that's going to, again, direct those resources where we want them to go. I, I think, especially in the case of individuals who have high income volatility, so their fluctuation is going to change quite a bit. Setting the allowance as a percentage of income may lead to frustration because that allowance isn't going to remain consistent. So as a general rule, I think that it probably makes sense to keep the allowance component of your budget as a fixed expense line item. Uh, something's not going to change month to month and lean very conservative with the initial allowance. So when you're starting out, start with a relatively small allowance. And because your budget is something that you're going to be looking at at a regular basis, while you're having fun and doing some budgeting to help you help motivate you to go do that, you'll, you'll get a better feel for where this allowance line item uh, should be moving. Should it be expanding and getting larger? Should you have a larger allowance or does it need to contract and get a little bit smaller? Um, but I think it does make sense. Start out on the smaller end, review it for a few months, see what that feels like. And then where possible and where reasonable, it's totally fine to increase that. Um, but again, in the case of individuals that are having a lot of, a lot of volatility with respect to their income, I think having it fixed and having it start out small is probably the way to go. So you just avoid a situation where for a few months, you've got a high allowance because it's a percentage of your income and then you're your income drops and all of a sudden you're cutting back on that, that personal guilt-free spending. So starting out smaller with it fixed, I think is probably a, a good general rule to follow. Yeah. That's, I think, uh, I think something I, I think we would probably agree with here as well, you know, and it, with the fixed amount, you know, maybe if your income is up for a few months, um, you know, we've talked about like building an emergency savings is like, you know, a key, um, financial planning aspect, you know, when your income is up, on the upswing, if you if you experience volatile income, you know having that fixed allowance might allow you to put the increase in your income to other you know other goals like like an emergency savings or some other some other financial plan. Absolutely. So something that we usually talk about when it comes to goals, which plays an important part for the vision that we've been talking about today, is the role of values. We talked about this in a webinar we did in November called Conscious Consumerism a bit, a little bit, where we also discussed the role of mindfulness in navigating financial decisions and handling financial stress or even healing from money shame. So all of that to say, how do you balance wealth building 
with practicing activities that align with your values, like maintaining your relationships, for instance, or to go back to the example I used earlier, you know, having, playing with the kids before bedtime, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Nikki, one of the things that you mentioned in your introduction to that question is really the value of mindfulness in navigating those financial decisions. This is a podcast about understanding money. It's a podcast about financial preparedness. It's a podcast about building wealth over time. We want to do those things. We also want to mindfully incorporate what we care about so that life doesn't just become a pursuit of the next dollar. There's a person uh, that was really influential in my life, my grandfather. Uh, He passed away earlier this year. He lived to be 100 years old, which was really neat to have him as part of my life for so long. And when I think about my grandfather, there's a few things that are apparent. One is certainly that he was successful financially. He was a successful businessman. Uh, He had a career in the Bay Area, California as a politician. And so you could say in, in a number of ways, he was successful. But when I think of my grandfather, I'm not really thinking so much about the fact that he was financially well off. I'm thinking about the impact that he made in my life and that I felt like he really cared about me. He had time to be with me, uh, to interact with me in family settings, but also one-on-one and transmitted values of hard work, of the desire for learning, certainly transmitted the importance of being respectful to your mom. All of these things are values that my grandfather was able to pass on to me. And so I think it's a worthwhile exercise to consider your life. Look to the future. When, you, when you're 75, 85, or maybe even 100 years old, and you're looking back on life, what do you want to be remembered by? What are those values that you want to transmit to the next generation or to those that are around you? So I think that's a, a way that we can hone in on values and what we want to do while we are also in the process of, of building wealth and becoming financially prepared and financially independent. So I, I do think if we come full circle here about creating a vision, I, I think that this is where the vision document comes into play again, because you know every family is going to have a different approach to how they implement their vision and what that vision is and what they care about. But the important thing is to identify what we want and then work towards it. So those financial goals, those family goals, how do we balance those? How can we mindfully approach that so that we're not leaning too far one way or the other? And the truth of the matter is, is that most of the time we're leaning too far on one side or the other, but the key is to just make sure that we're going back and trying to recenter ourselves so we're not getting pulled too far in one direction. So, you know, we do need to make sure we're not neglecting putting our financial house in order. Sometimes that requires sacrifice. Um, at the same time, we need to make sure that our family house is in order and that also sometimes requires sacrifices. So uh, on both ends, making sure that we're trying to, be, trying to be balanced. So, you know, being conscious when we're identifying those goals, how to meet them, and doing our best to determine how we use our time, energy, and resources in the ways to also build wealth, but also make sure that we're building and maintaining relationships. I think we've talked a lot about different ways to create a vision, and, and maybe you're the type of person, our listener, thinking about like, well, maybe a document doesn't work for me, but you can represent what you value, kind of what you want to do, what you want to practice in different ways. Maybe you make a vision board that's been popular. 
Maybe you create a poster sure. in your room that helps you kind of stay on track or centers you every day and, and reminds you of what's most important to you. The, the key is operationalizing whatever document or media that you create to represent your vision into practices that will help you accomplish what your vision is and revisiting it regularly from what yeah. Donovan has said. And, and I think we've talked about that as well, as well over the past however many episodes we've done at this point <laughs> uh, on our podcast. We always talk about if something's not working, revisit it. If your yeah. values change, change what you're doing. It's a journey, right? In all areas of our lives, not just finances, but you know, and everything that we do. So again, I think the balance piece that you've talked about today, Donovan, is really important and revisiting it is so important to keeping kind of centered. So now that we've kind of discussed the creating a vision for your life and financial considerations that can help make it achievable or operationalize it a little bit, um, let's talk about how to get started because that's the hardest step. We've talked about that several times just during this yep. episode, just getting started. So from my perspective, there are a lot of different directions you can go. And depending on where you are in life, you might decide to go one way or another. So brainstorming on paper, like Donovan talked about earlier, assessing where your resources are and tracking your expenses. That's a really important part of the budgeting process. Reflecting on your own values regularly, not just one and done it. And sometimes it takes talking to other people. You might even hire a life coach or talk to a counselor about that because it can be hard to get past some of our stress in order to assess what is really valuable to me and then transitioning that into behavior. Um, you might talk to your partner or your family about what your values or habits are as well. That feedback piece, the support system piece um, can be really helpful, even from an accountability perspective. If you are comfortable with someone calling you out on behaviors that don't align with your values, you can ask them, hey, can you just like let me know when I'm spending on something that doesn't make sense with what I've expressed yep. as my values. Um, so that can be really helpful as well. And then kind of deciding on if and what kind of financial professional that you might want to talk to, be that a tax professional or a financial planner in order to help you accomplish your goals or better align with your values can be really helpful for transitioning into behaviors and balancing long-term plans with what you want your life to look like right now. So Donovan, I know this is very something that you and I have talked about before. So I think your perspective would be really valuable to, your, to our listeners. Let's say uh, someone decides they want to talk to a financial planner. What kinds of things do you think they should consider in hiring someone to help them turn their vision into a financial plan? Andrew, this is such a good question. And I, as I've, I've mentioned a few times, I am a, I'm a practicing financial planner. I have some strong feelings about what people should look for and, and care about as they're having conversations with, with financial advisors. So you're, gonna, you're, you're getting a perspective from a financial planner, you know, first and foremost. Um, so I have my my own biases and, and things that, that I feel like I've learned along the way and, and some reasons for having the opinions that I do. From the outset, 
the title financial advisor or the title financial planner, unfortunately, aren't going to be very helpful in terms of you being able to determine who you should work with. You're going to have to do a little bit of digging deeper because financial advisor just isn't going to tell you about the, the services or the, the way that the professional that you're, you might work with is going to get paid. And so when I'm thinking about uh, financial advisors uh, and, and what you should be looking for, there are three items that I would start with. And I think this, this can help people begin their exploration. The first thing that I would think about if you're considering working with a financial advisor or a financial planner is how is that financial advisor going to get paid? And I'll, I'll loop back and describe why I've listed this as the first one, but I'll go through all three and then I'll loop back. So how does your financial advisor get paid? There are broadly speaking, three ways that financial advisors are compensated. The first way is through commissions. This would be in a transaction type situation where a product is sold and then the financial advisor receives a certain percentage of the cost of the sale of that product. For example, for like a life insurance sale, the advisor would receive a percentage of the first of the annual premium. There are also fee-based arrangements in which a financial advisor can still earn money from selling financial products, but they can also charge fees on your investment account that you might have with them. And then there are fee-only financial advisors that don't receive any compensation from sales. They're not engaging in any sort of transactions. You are specifically and only paying them for their advice. They may or may not manage investment assets that may or may not be part of their business model. Uh, and so there's a lot of different arrangements under the fee only financial planning compensation structure. They could be hourly. It could be based on a percentage of assets under management. It could be a flat annual fee. Uh, but at the end of the day, the fee only category does not receive compensation from any product sales, whereas fee base and commission would. Another item or the next item you should be looking into is the type of education and training that your financial advisor has. There's a lot of designations out there. So if you look at a you know, the, the, the letters after a financial advisor's name can be extremely long. There's a CFP designation, there's a CHSC designation, there's a CSLP designation, there's a CLU designation. And wow, it can look really impressive to see all of those designations after someone's name. Um, but what does that mean? Uh, from, a, from a high level, the CFP, Certified Financial Planner designation, is probably the premier designation that you'd likely be wanting to look for your financial advisor to have. What does this tell you? It tells you that your advisor has a minimum level of education, training, experience, and a commitment to ethical practices um, that would be desirable for you to have. But you might also wonder, you know, does your financial advisor have a degree in financial planning, which is also something to look into. Lastly, the third item that I think you should be considering when you're thinking about working with a financial advisor is how is their business structured? Is it a small practice? Is it a large firm? Is it just one advisor or is it a team? Are they providing full service where they're doing the investment management and the financial planning? Or are they just doing the planning and telling you what you should go out and do on your own? And this is largely this third item is, is largely personal preference. Do you wanna work with a small practice? Do you wanna work with a large firm? 
that was maybe more technology resources or something along those lines. That's that's large. I mean, all of these things are up to you, but certainly the, the business model is going to be a, a personal preference. If you're asking me, my opinion is that the uh, most important item to understand as you're considering working with a financial advisor is how they're paid. And the reason why I would say that is because compensation drives behavior to some extent. And so, you know, you shouldn't be surprised if you're working with a commission paid financial advisor and at the end of the day, they want to continue selling you more products. Well, why would they want to do that? Well, that's, that's how they're, they're, they're earning a living. They have a family that they care about. Uh, they'd like to provide a good life for themselves and their loved ones. And so at the end of the day, a financial advisor that's paid on commission needs to continue selling products, whether to you or finding other new people. This is not a, uh, any sort of assessment or judgment on the uh, goodness or badness of advisors in any of, these, in any of these type of compensation arrangements. It's simply making sure that you understand as you approach a financial advisor, what type of relationship you'd be getting into. And it's also not to say that, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, the fee-only spectrum, that that's all perfect either. So for example, if you're working with a financial advisor that's paid fee-only, but it's an asset under management approach, they may not be willing to work with you unless you have a certain threshold of assets. Um, or they may simply be interested every time you meet with them, they might say, do you have any other money that we can invest at the firm? Because there is an incentive there. Uh, to continue building up those building up assets under management. So all of these are things to be thinking about. And again, I think they provide some guidance. Um, you also want to do a little bit of looking into the advisor from a professional background. And so there's a tool out there called BrokerCheck. If you go to brokercheck.finra.org, you can use that resource to look up background on your prospective advisor or firm to see if there's any disciplinary disciplinary history that can they can help you also as you're as you're navigating yeah, different professionals to work with. Always a good idea if you decide to work with a financial advisor to interview many different companies, many different advisors, get a broad understanding of the different types of advisors that, that are out there and the services that are offering to try to hone in and, and get a feel for what could be the best fit for you. Thank you, Donovan. That uh, was a lot of great information about where people, you know, can look and how to discern and, and you know, pick through information on how to, you know, make decisions on what kind of financial planners or advisors that they want to work with. And that was a lot of great resources. So thank you. Uh, and I just also want to thank you for uh, sharing your perspective and your insights with us today. Uh, Donovan, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know as they start refining their New Year's resolutions or creating their vision documents? Yeah, well, let me let me first say, uh, Nikki, Andrew, and Jake, it's it's really been fantastic sharing a few minutes with you and, and talking about these subjects. They are important to me. I probably haven't been perfect in clearly articulating the topic or the the best way to approach it, but I hope that listeners uh, can come a, away with some understanding of the importance of perspective in their life. One of the reasons why I care about this topic so much is because a few years ago, I was sitting on the beach with my daughter, who was about three at the time. She was sitting in my lap, and we had a bag of cherries, and we were eating these cherries, and of course, cherries always have the cherry pit, and I'm holding this baggie, and my three-year-old daughter is spitting these pits into the bag. It, it sounds silly, but I just thought it was the sweetest thing in the world to be sitting there with my daughter 
and feeling these these powerful emotions of love and care for her and just spending time with her watching the waves and eating some cherries. So it, it occurred to me as I was doing that, there's a point to this story. It, it occurred to me while I was doing that, that there's no way I would trade that little experience for millions of dollars. That, that, that connection that I had with my daughter there was, was worth more than any, any, any amount of money that could be sent my way. And so it's that experience along with others has sent me continuing to ponder about how I'm living. Am I really living in the way that's going to bring me the most joy and fulfillment? And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I don't have it figured out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just like anyone else. I, I'm on this journey. I'm trying my best to, to live a little bit better every day. And so I'm hopeful some of the things that we've talked about that uh, for the listeners to this podcast, I hope that some of the things that we've discussed will be helpful, will be useful in terms of helping you live your life in the way that you really want to. Um, yes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Donovan. One thing I, I just want to highlight that I really appreciate listening to you speak because I feel like when we talk about finances and financial planning, it's always about the dollar amount and making sure you have this to retire and that to retire. And I really appreciated your take about making sure that you are also taking your values in and taking in what you want and out of life more than just a dollar amount. Um, I think that's really important. So I, I really enjoyed listening to you talk about that. Um, we obviously discussed a lot of valuable concepts. That was just one of them that I highlighted regarded, regarding financial planning today. And we're gonna put a few relevant resources in the show notes to help you. Um, our listeners, not Donovan, <laughs> to help our listeners um, get started on your own vision um, after listening to this. And echoing what Jake and Nikki have already said, thank you again, Donovan, for joining us today and talking to both us and our listeners um, about some of the important pieces of financial planning that not everyone talks about. Even us, sometimes we focus on the, the logistical kind of pieces as well. So to our listeners, join us next episode to talk about the basics of buying a home. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And tell all your friends and family. Talk to you next time.